welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing in the evening here in Manila, Philippines on Thursday. Joining me on Thursday afternoon in Milano, Italia, Tim Bontemps. I've been sitting here for 12 hours, so waiting to start. So I'm glad we're glad we're ready to go now. That's right. He sent a text uh, at 11 a.m. Philippine time, which 12 hours ago, and it's like, uh, okay, wh- wh- why aren't you guys signed on? Joining us from Dallas, Texas, where it's 10 a.m., it's Thursday morning, it's Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. No other comment on no, content? No, I'll, I'll, I'll let you international superstars carry the day here. I'm just a common man sitting in good old U.S. of A. All right. That's where you, uh, that's where you belong, quite frankly. All right. Uh, so we're going to talk about the NBA. James Harden, um, a story from our colleague Ramona Shelburne, um, the first um, sort of glimpse of the James Harden situation. This is basically um, a summation piece that Ramona did, but it had some remarkable details that were in it. Um, I'll never forget the piece that you did on James Harden at McMahon. What was that? Uh, maybe three or four years ago. It was right as he was forcing his way out of Houston. Right. At the same time. I don't know if that, but just, it took a lot longer to get there in Houston than it did in Philadelphia. Yeah. It, it, it sort of pulled back some of the curtain on what was up with Harden. And I think we have a little bit more here. There's a couple of, you know, uh, look, he still wants to be traded. Philly still has him off the block and is intending to bring him to camp. It's still a stalemate that hasn't changed, but there's a little bit more that the, that Ramona unearthed about what went on this past season. Um, the two pieces I think are interesting. Not that I think, again, this changes um, mm. the hard situation, but um, a story, a, a detail on the story about how Harden. Uh, during a week when the 76ers had lost two brutal home games, I think it was in January. Do you remember who those games were against, Bontemps? I can't remember. Uh, they lost to Boston and they lost to Milwaukee, I believe. And then they were going to Miami. Right. So two two teams they're trying to, to beat in the Eastern Conference. Um, and James Harden did not fly with the team to Miami. He went ahead of the team to Miami to enjoy the nightlife. And Ramona detailed that in there. And she also detailed about at the all-star game, how uh, James Harden was offered by the NBA, by Adam Silver to be an injury replacement. And he didn't answer right away. And the NBA was waiting on an answer and didn't get an answer in in a, a timely enough fashion. And so Adam Silver named Pascal Siakam. And I think it's and I don't want to give away the whole story. I mean, those are interesting nuggets from it. You know, you should read it because Ramona basically details that this was supposed to be a season of sacrifice for James Harden. And it ended up going sideways. And that sort of set the uh, agenda for his trade request after his con- after he didn't get a, a contract uh, situation settled. Um, but I think it kind of these details kind of illustrate that while the Sixers were having a good season, there was, you know, there was some some cracks in in the way it was operating with Harden. And that that it led sort of things that built up. Uh, and it just 
speaks nothing to the Doc Rivers dismissal, which was related to the team's performance and um, dropping a 3-2 lead in the in the playoffs, no doubt. Uh, if they win that series, I think there's a good chance Doc Rivers is still the coach. But Harden played a role in Doc Rivers getting fired. So um, I think all of these things are just more detail, more background to understand why the 76ers looked at his future one way and Harden looked at another bond times. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, this, this situation, we're still in sort of a holding pattern over the last couple months. And I think Ramona did a good job of explaining how we got to this point, but the most important paragraph in the story was the one where she essentially said the Sixers looked around at trade options. Nobody's really interested in trading for James Harden. And so he's still here and there's no real, end in that situation in sight and you know certainly the details about the ulcer game i didn't know about that there was obviously some tension with doc throughout the year and james you know as we've talked about before when he sat up there after that game one against celtics when he had 40 something and basically said it felt great to be the guy again you, you had a pretty good sense of sort of where his head was at in terms of you know the uh the role he had and sort of what he wanted to have in an ideal world um but at the end of the day, James Harden and his agents opted into this contract because they were not comfortable with the situation where they sat a couple of days before free agency. And because they did that, there's no off ramp for them. And everything that happened, that that that's really all that matters is I just still as of right now, what are we four weeks from training camp, three and a half weeks from training camp? I just don't see how James Harden gets out of this situation outside of showing up to camp and playing. And maybe he'll just sabotage this Phillies entire season. It'll just be a disaster for everybody. But right now, I just don't see any way this ends other than him playing for the Sixers in a few weeks. Yeah, and you know, I'm reading this story, and obviously there were there are some parts, specifically the whole fly ahead of the team so he can go party in Miami, where I'm yes. like, listen, some things are never going to change with James Harden. I mean, he is one of the most legendary partiers in NBA history. Um, that's never going to change. And some things have changed drastically, obviously, specifically his relationship with Daryl Morey. And let's just call it like it is. For years, Daryl Morey thought it was good business to kiss James Harden's butt. He kissed James's ass the entire time in Houston. The, the power dynamic James wasn't reporting up to Daryl. It was the other way around. That's just you could argue. He could argue he's been doing that most of the time he's been in Philadelphia. Well, and clearly that has changed. You know, the whole, oh, he was ghosting me. And like, I'm not buying this. Oh, Daryl's never tampering again. Like, we're following the rules. No, he he basically was like, it it was a way of playing hardball. He had never played hardball with, with James Harden before. Good, you know, the exactly the opposite. But it reached a point like Daryl's not a relationships guy. He's a he's a straight up business guy. He, he wasn't kissing James's butt because he wanted to be his friend. He was doing it because he thought it was in the best interest of at the time the Houston Rockets. At this point, it's not in the best interest of the Philadelphia 76ers. So that relationship is totally flipped. James clearly feels betrayed. I mean, uh, Ramona lays that out very well. Let me just point out one thing though. Let's not act like James was just always loyal to Daryl Morey. In this specific case, what did James think was going to happen this entire year? 
He thought he was going to get a max deal and go back to Houston. Okay. That was his plan. So let's not, oh my gosh, how could Daryl stab him in the back? James can feel betrayed, but you know, so could Daryl. And the simple fact of the matter is this little friendship, it was never about the relationship. It was about the business. And the business has gotten messy. And so the relationship's been blown to smithereens. It was always a mutually beneficial yeah. situation. And the only the the true irony of the situation is that Darryl, James Harden's biggest fan in the NBA remains Daryl Morey. Yeah. After all of this, he wants James Harden more than any other team in the league. That's the funniest thing about this whole thing. Like he wants him in Philadelphia. He wants him to be on the team. Like there's no other team that's rushing to try to trade for him. You mentioned Houston that when that option went away, there wasn't, it wasn't like there was other stuff on the market. There's a reason they opted in. They were, they were terrified. They were going to left be left without anything. I think that was a mistake, but that was why they did it. They didn't do it because you know, they just, they wanted to be in Philadelphia. It's like, they were not, com they were not sure what they were going to get. So they took what they had. And that, that sums up the situation entirely. The Houston interest angle, which seems to have shifted both with the availability and interest of Fred Van Vliet, Van Vliet plus the hiring of Ime Udoka, plus the way the season went for James Harden. But the Houston interest angle or factor Mm. is the best offense that the Sixers have that they didn't have a wink-wink agreement in place. Because even though uh, a Houston interest, whether, you know, when that came out, could have been used as a leveraging move to get Philly to give Harden the contract, it did make some sense that Houston would have interest in bringing him back. It was very clear that the, that the Rockets wanted to spend money and wanted to improve quickly. And that... That, that not all ties have been burned there. So that is something that's interesting to point out is you try to assume who promised who what and who was experiencing what. But we are, media day is October 2nd. So we are now inside a month. Still plenty of time for stuff to happen, but I still have no idea what's going to happen there. And I have no idea whether he's going to report, whether he's going to report to training camp, if he does what he's going to do. And it's a very uneasy situation. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty in the league right now. There has been for a while. And now that, that uh, training camp is, you know, in the forefront, I mean, after, uh, after Labor Day is when the players usually start reporting to their facilities, like September is when everybody kind of shows up and starts playing. And so, you know, in Philadelphia, they're, they're getting going here and they don't know who's going to be on the team. And it's like, um, you know, it's like a, a storm on the horizon. Everybody knows it's going to come to a head. But there doesn't seem to be anybody doing anything about it. So Ramona's story highlights that. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, so we'll continue to watch that. Over here in Manila at the World Cup, had a uh, quite an interesting couple of days here. So this this pod will be out, you know, not too far from when the United States plays Germany for the uh semifinals we're a little bit off our schedule here because um the that game is is it uh, on early friday morning you know mid and not so early but certainly early for the west coast the americans played terrific against italy but i was totally enraptured by the two games that i watched on wednesday night uh here in manila one was slovenia against uh slovenia yeah. against uh canada and the other one was latvia against germany the slovenia against canada game 
I really wish we had had mic'd up Dylan Brooks and mic'd up Luka Doncic because it was pure theater to watch those two guys go against each other. And I guess you could say predictably, both of them were ejected. And I would say very predictably, especially in a FIBA game. Watching this game unfold was, I mean, it was entertaining, to be honest with you. Luka, of course, absolutely complained about just about every time he was touched. The thing about it was is Canada was playing very physical with him. He, you know, it's very frustrating to watch Luca play, but in this game, he had a point. He was getting hit every time, essentially down the court. And of course he was complaining about it. And this is the problem when you complain about every call, the officials get numb to it. They walk into the building knowing you're going to complain about every call. So you know, it gives you no basis to have a conversation with them. And so like the Slovenia bench is going absolutely crazy. Every time the coach is flailing around, Luca's flailing around, Luca's grabbing his quad, grabbing his elbow, he's grimacing. And then he's absolutely cooking the defenders in front of him. He's doing the thing where he shows the marks on his hands. I mean, on his arms. That's a, that's a constant. He He was playing brilliantly but watching him was excruciating. And meanwhile, Dylan Brooks wouldn't go two feet from him mm-hmm. as much as long as he possibly could. When he would get shaken on the court, okay, he'd get away. But in dead balls, he'd be right up in his face. He'd be chirping at him. I was talking to somebody on the on the Canada team, and they were telling me that in the, the game where the Canadians beat the, beat the Spanish to get a huge win where they had a fourth quarter comeback, to get to the quarterfinals and qualify for the Olympics. They couldn't believe the kind of stuff that Dylan Brooks was saying to Santi Aldama, his ex-teammate on the Grizzlies. Like they were like, I couldn't believe the words he was using. Now Santi seemed to apparently take it okay and give it back to him. But like Dylan Brooks is relentless. And so Luca's going back at Dylan. Dylan's going back at Luca. He's playing rough. Uh, they're rotating uh, Dylan and uh, Lou Dort. Uh, which is a great combination to put on Luca. Luca is still scoring. It's a slugfest. It's a one-point game in the uh, in the at halftime, and then the mm-hmm. third quarter, Shea Gildas Alexander just takes control. He ended up, I think, with thirty-one points and ten assists in this game. Starts stretching it out. Luca starts getting frustrated. Dylan keeps barking. Dylan Brooks hits a three, forces the Slovenian timeout, barks, gets ejected for taunting. Okay, <laughs> so. It was a double-digit lead. By the way, you forgot you forgot the part where the Manila crowd is just booing. Oh, you're right. I apologize. From from intros through the entire game because he is a villain. Okay, because they are Lakers lovers. That's right. We're back to the uh, to the playoffs. I'm so sorry. I mean, they do like Luca here, but they were booing. It was a combination of liking Luca and really hating Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I was talking to a guy in the in the media here in the Philippines, and he's like, when you say something against LeBron or you say something against Kobe, it's like insulting the Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. And so they booed him and booed him. And like at, at one point in the game, when yeah, when Slovenia was trying to make a comeback, the Filipino fans were chanting defense, defense when Slovenia was defending. That's um, the one English so, word that Luca does not understand. <laughs> so Luca is. <laughs> Luca is riding the officials every time and he's getting so frustrated. And again, he is getting hit. I mean, this is the thing. Like he, he is by the letter of the law. He is right. They were beating him up, but he's just going crazy. So he gets a technical foul in the first half for complaining. 
-hmm. In the second half, he's complaining and complaining. Slovenia is getting behind. And when there would be free throws, he would walk over towards center court. And he started yelling at the front row of seats. And I was like, who is he yelling at? And I asked some people, and he was yelling at Andrea Zaklis, who is the secretary general of FIBA. That's the commissioner of FIBA for people who don't know what the secretary general is. It's like the Adam Adam Silver of FIBA. Yes. Right. It would be like if, you know, you know, Adam Silver usually sits in like, you know, the fifth or sixth row, like on the on the aisle when he's like if Luca went over to the stands at a playoff game, started shouting at Adam Silver that the rest were not calling fouls on. That was what happened. Right. Right. So, okay. So Dylan gets ejected. Now, a game is not over. There's, you know, it's the fourth quarter. There's time left. And within a minute or two, Luca barks at the officials and gets a second technical, gets ejected, immediately walks to the tunnel. Looks over at the FIBA leadership with Zach Lees and all the other all the other leaders who are sitting together and starts clapping at them like mm-hmm. good job. Um, and then actually Slovenia made a, a minor comeback there, and you wonder what would happen if he had stayed in the game. And then he he didn't actually kind of he did leave the court, but he was kind of standing in the tunnel with a towel over his head. Like I don't know if he was trying like Bobby Valentine <laughs> or something. And but the uh, the, the Canadians eventually. Uh, pushed it out and ended up, you know, winning and eliminating Slovenia from medal contention. Canada's coming off of the court and Dylan Brooks is standing in the hallway wearing boxing gloves, shadow boxing when they come off the court. Now the background uh, on that because, is the Canadian, the Canadian, I saw the Canadian coaches had been telling them like, you've got to keep giving body blows to the other team throughout the tournament. They talked about it against Spain when they had to come back. And then, so before the game against Slovenia, they put boxing gloves in all the lockers. So then you have this amazing video it's of another Dylan way. Brooks it's just another boxing. It's like in the hallway. Yeah, it was incredible. It's like it's like the old pounding the rock concept. It's just sure. another way of selling it to the players. Um, but it it, it but gave yeah. us an incredible video though of Dylan Brooks wearing boxing gloves in the, in the hallway. I just <laughs> shadow wish, boxing, yes, which Dylan knew, which yeah, Dylan knew because he was perfectly positioned for the cameras to oh, see. Of course, I just wish the media would stop portraying him as a villain. He has said he does not like that. So it's <laughs> stop doing things like pressing. Uh, Forward and documenting all Here's of the his thing. actions. Here's the thing. Dylan played awesome against Spain. And he played awesome against uh, Slovenia. And uh, like getting both Dylan and Luca ejected is like trading your king for your rook. The whole reason Dylan is so valuable is because he's defending Luca. So if he gets Luca so frustrated, that Luca gets ejected. Who cares if Dylan's still in the game? Well, if Dylan, if Dylan Brooks is five for seven from the field and three for five from three, then he's a very valuable player because then he's not taking up possessions, taking terrible shots, messing up your offense. He's hitting open shots and he's guarding. If he played like that all the time in the NBA, there'd be much less of an issue with Dylan Brooks as far as being a damaging player. And for all the antics, you heard what Luca had to say uh, about Dylan Brooks after the game and Wendy, you were there. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically gave him his props and, you know, say what you want about, you know, the villain, you know, the offense, all that stuff. Dylan Brooks might be the best wing defender or on ball defender in the NBA. It's crazy because if it's not him, Lou Dortch right there in that conversation as well. And they're both sitting there, you know, as you said, uh, uh, a tag <clears throat> team uh, defending Luca in that game. But this game, you know, Luca has two massive flaws. 
One, he's done something about this summer. He's gotten himself into shape. But the conditioning is something that it's always going to be, you know, a year to year, month to month even uh, type of situation with him as far as his commitment. The exhausting whining to referees is never going to change. And there's a, there's some issues there. Like if he wants to whine, that that's one thing, but it's counterproductive. Like you said, not I don't you said they're numb to it. I think in a lot of cases, and especially, you know, with these FIBA referees who are getting hammered all the time, I think it's counterproductive. I think they get so sick and tired of it. Like, dude, these are humans. There's going to be a human element. And if the human element is, I am sick and tired of hearing this bleepy bleep MF me, I'm like, he ain't getting the benefit of the doubt. I think that does happen a lot. And then Luca, this is something Jason Kidd has called him out on publicly on multiple occasions. It was a major uh, source of frustration for Rick Carlisle, but Rick was just in butt kissing, trying to fix the relationship mode, so he wouldn't call Luca out on it. Luca gets so worked up about the officials. He's not playing five on five. He's more worried about three refs than he is to five opponents. And when you know one of those guys is Dylan Brooks, who's in your grill, it's going to be tough. And you know, Luca got tossed midway through the fourth quarter. He was checked out in the third quarter. He was done. He was he was arguing with refs. He was done playing basketball. He was talking to the executives on the stands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he did come to the podium after the game, which the Slovenian you know team really can't ever make him talk to the media. So that was on, that was his decision to come to, which I respected. And here's what he said. He said, I know I complain a lot, but I don't think it's fair. They're playing very physical with me. But if you say that, it's not fair. But if you say that, it's not fair. They, they talked about Dylan Brooks. Um, he said he's very physical like he always is. A lot of people don't like him, but I respect him for what he does. He does that stuff pretty good. Both the, the coach and Luca admit that he needs to get better. But And I mean, while I think he comes in and I respect that he comes in and discusses it, he's not getting better. And, well, and, and last last year, like literally dozens of times throughout the course of his NBA career and, and FIBA career. Yeah, he's the boy who cried wolf so, at this point. Well, he got ejected. So when Slovenia got knocked out of Eurobasket last year, oh. and by the way, like incredibly great respect to him that he's playing in summer after summer for the Slovenian national team. Yeah. Like he's the biggest name player here. Um, I think this game might have had a comment on who the best player, the best you know, guard in FIBA has been. Oh. Shea Gildas Alexander outplayed him. I mean, look, what oh, do we say? Shea Gildas Alexander. You're jumping on I'm that. I'm telling you what happened. This has been driving. I'm telling you what happened. I don't. You know, I'm not making a uh, an opinion. This is a, it's just a fact. He outplayed him head oh, to head. He outplayed wait, him. I hear a bunch of whining. Oh, from from my neighbors here in Dallas. Oh, there's seven NBA players on Canada. If Luca had seven NBA players. Simple fact is SGA outplayed him yesterday. That's that's the truth. Now, he wasn't being defended by Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort, but SGA outplayed him. Here's his line. 31 points on 8 for 12 shooting, 7 for 8 from 2, 14 for 16 from the line, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 1 turnover, 36 minutes. Oh, more, more whining. Good. Why didn't Luca <laughs> have 16 free throws? <laughs> well, he was averaging 14 plus, and then he got to the – last two games and you know I think he only had 12 total in the last two games which I'm sure Luca fans would point to now I'm just going to point to this I mentioned him playing in Eurobasket for um for Slovenia last summer in the game where they got eliminated he got ejected mm. from that game for complaining yeah so 
look, I mean, I, I admit, like, uh, I've talked about this game in the past. Uh, I was the game, and it was actually almost in the same um, sort of maybe sort of, sort of part of the tournament, not quite the quarterfinals, but Giannis got a preposterous whistle in the last World Cup. And I remember watching it saying, I don't know if he's going to want to keep playing because they can just beat him up. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, a, you know, and I, I, maybe FIBA isn't for Luca. I mean, he really, really wants, I mean, I respect it, but like, they I don't think allow, Luca, well, I'm just saying, Luca. if he, if he's going to, if he is not going to be able to control his emotions, I don't know if he's going to be able to continue doing it. Well, I would say this, the they best allow, moment, they allow it. The best moments of Luca's career have been in FIBA for all the success he's had in the NBA. Oh, and 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 with Real Madrid, and going to the Olympics are the best moments of Luca's career. And you know, it's 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 never a question: is he going to be playing for Slovenia? He has said it many many times. As long as he's healthy, he's playing with his national team. I mean, this is like if you're looking for hey, is 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 there? Does Luca have a strong sense of loyalty? He sure as hell does when it comes to Slovenia. Obviously, people in Dallas hopes that carries over to the business relationship that he has with the Mavericks. But I, I think it's going to take more than frustration with officials for Luca to, to run away from uh, the chance to compete in, in FIBA. Let's be honest, if it was about honestly, frustration with officials, he just retired from basketball because he's it's he, just it's he winds in the NBA on a every play basis too. It's just so hard to watch. He's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he put a few moves on in this game that were just, I mean, nothing and you guys haven't seen before. And then there was this one back and forth in the third quarter where he had a step back three pointer from like an inch off the sideline. I don't know. It was like 27 yeah. feet, just a breathtaking play. And maybe that was in the second quarter. And then Shea came down at the other end and hit yeah, his own the, step back. It was it was in the third. That was when that was when he checked out of the game to McMahon's point. Cause Shea, he and Shea went back and forth a couple times and Luca was trying to get them back within 10 and it stayed around 15. And then that was when the frustration really set in. And then that was kind of that. And I to me, this isn't about like like McMahon said, I, this isn't about, you know, is is FIBA for Luca or not? Like to me, this is about if Luka Don Luka Dodge says the potential to be the best player on the planet and one of the great players of all time. Mm -hmm. But for him to kind of get to the final endpoint of what he can be as a player, he has to get past this endless whining and complaining to the refs. Because if you're if you're so focused to McMahon's point on the court, on the referees, and not on the opponent, it's gonna naturally affect your team, which as you said, Brian, the whole team sort of takes after him naturally because he's clearly their leader and best player. And they complain as much as any team. Even oh, yeah, you know they, oh, they, well, they, but, yes, it was bad. It was bad. And you're good, but you're gonna take your cues from your best player. And if your best player is getting that distracted by the officials, that's not to say Luca's an unbelievable player. It's not there's no right. criticism of him from that standpoint. But like that's the last thing he's got to really get over is a, a maturity on the court to not allow that stuff to completely derail him. And, and that's there's the moments thing. like where it clearly does. That's the thing. Look, Chris Paul complains as much as anybody in the league. We can talk about Draymond and, Green. And you could you they, could argue, you could argue it's cost Chris Paul a bunch of times too, in similar cases from getting so emotionally invested with the referees that it impacted other things. Look at the Scott it's Foster cost Draymond relationship. Too. It's called it's, it's for cost sure. Draymond too. 2016. Right. Same and, thing. And, 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 Yep. The, the thing that that Jake Kidd has 
tried to emphasize to Luca has has really you know tried to hammer on him pick your spots and the maybe the most frustrating thing about Luca's constant complaining to referees is he does it when nine other guys are going the other way like he's yeah. one of the worst transition defenders in the history of basketball because <laughs> half the time I mentioned earlier in another pod, a scout actually said that I thought he had like analytical evidence. It was just kind of being hyper. What's that word? Hyper, hyper- hyperbolic, hyperbolic. There Anyways, <laughs> but, but like, dude, don't stop. The game doesn't stop because you're upset when the whistle blows. If you got something to say, say it then, but don't do all this pointing at your hand, don't you know, point at your arms, point at the marks, throwing your hands up, yelling and screaming when you're supposed to be running back on defense. And that is a constant with him. He's and then it's such just, a it, great player, too. He oh, is no. such <laughs> such a great player. It honestly, it's not that it it it's it ruins watching him because if it's, he's not complaining about the officials, he's he's limping and he's grabbing and he's he can just, be exhausting. He can absolutely yeah be exhausting but and, you know for a while obviously the kid came in and he came in as a kid he's not a kid anymore he came in as a kid he came in as a teenager and so for a while you know you talked about well it's immaturity let's stop that the, it's his personality it's who he is that doesn't make him a bad guy but it is a a personality flaw that affects the performance of one of the best players in the league. It's just like, listen, Rasheed Wallace never grew out of it. Right. It's, it's who he is. And this is part, this is part of the package with perennial first team all NBA Luka Doncic. It's just part of the package. Something that is constantly going to have to be managed. And you know, that's also why, like, part of covering Luka Doncic is the technical foul count. How close yeah. is he to that suspension? And the last two years, he's gotten 17, but the NBA was unfair. The, those refs were unfair twice each year. <laughs> so he, he avoided a suspension because, you know, he didn't have to yell at, at Adam Silver in front of an entire arena. The Mavericks <laughs> did it behind the scenes, but he got two right. suspensions. But, like, that's just it's always going to be, hey, is he running back on defense? How close is he to a suspension? Is he so focused on the officials that, you know, he, he's committing turnovers, he's throwing up bad shots, he just completely loses his mind. Like this year, the the example that comes to mind is they're up, I forgot how many points it was. At the time, it was the biggest comeback in the NBA all season. It was like 29 points or something in the Lakers. Didn't end up being the biggest comeback of the year by the time it was. And Luca just lost his mind, got so focused on – you know, arguing with the refs and whining to the refs, the Mavericks completely melted down. The Lakers came back and 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 won the game in Dallas, and that's when, you know, for the third or fourth time uh, during their time together, Jay Kidd called it out post game. Yeah, so he actually they they've played since this game. They played tonight uh, against Lithuania in a consolation game. I was surprised. Again, hats off to Luca. Luca played the second night of a back to back, basically in the losers bracket, yeah. and um, he had he had twenty nine points, but didn't shoot the ball well. Seven to twenty-one, and they lost again to Lithuania. Bad couple of days for Luca. These games are just about: are you going to be fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth place? Like, you, there's no. Yes, there's but no... There, there's some method to it because it affects your potential seating in the Olympic ah, qualifying tournament. Right. So, one okay. thing I will say: when Slovenia lost that game, it cemented the Olympic bids for Europe 
uh, in the hands of Serbia and Germany. And so that means that the Serbians are still very alive going into the game against Canada in the semifinals on Friday, have got their bid in Paris, which means despite Jokic, Nikola Jokic taking the summer to rest after the finals, he's going to be in in uh, in Paris. Um that's not good news. Oh, hey, are, we, are you um, sure he's going to be in Paris? Uh, no, I'm not sure of course, but uh he, you know he, they didn't they didn't if, qualify if for he the wants last and he's healthy he played like his spot is well, listen. I'd be pretty surprised I, if he didn't play in the Olympics. So I, I was I was reading an interview that um uh Sergio Andes, he's the former uh coach of Argentina had a lot of success with the Argentinian national team. And he picked Serbia to win. The, out of the four teams remaining, he picked Serbia. And he said it was because of their defense. And he pointed out that Lithuania scored 110 points against uh, the U.S. And then they only scored 68 against Serbia. Now, I will tell you, Lithuania shot the, you know, the heck out of the ball uh, against the U.S. and then missed 19 of 21 three-pointers at one point against Serbia. And then they came back in tonight's game against Slovenia and then and shot 56% against on three. Now, was that variance or was that Serbia's defense? Sergio Hernandez, a man with multiple medals, both in the World Cup and the Olympics, says that was Serbia's defense and he's picked them to beat uh, Canada and the winner of U.S. Germany. So take that for what it's worth. But Serbia is in. And friend of the podcast, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic, got them into the quarterfinals in the Olympics with a brilliant performance he had a stretch they lost to italy serbia lost to italy uh, about five or six days ago and um bogdan got benched in that game because he missed 12 or 13 shots at one point and so he came back with a huge performance in the quarterfinal i think he had 24 and i talked to him after the game and he first off he says hello to you and bontavs mcmahon he's oh, you know well, howdy partner very very excited uh, to, he was excited about everything. He was a great he's guy. Very, very excited, very Locked happy. Up. And so he gets a chance to play in the semifinals and, you know, at least one influential voice believes Serbia can beat Canada. Uh, Nikola Jovic, who's uh, going into second year with the Miami Heat, has had a couple of really good games for them, uh, as has Stefan Jovic, who's playing, Serbia is playing kind of without a pure point guard um, because uh, Vasily Misic, get to know that name. He, uh, has been the MVP. He was the MVP of the Euroleague this year and has signed to play with the Oklahoma City Thunder. But Misic is not playing. So right. they're kind of playing without Jokic, who's their super duper star, and Misic, who's their point guard. Right. And so, anyway, uh, Serbia is in <laughs> the Olympics and so is Jokic if he wants it. And so that's going to be interesting. Um, I believe if Jokic showed up tomorrow, 20 minutes before the game that Serbia might win this World <laughs> Cup. You know, I'm being a little bit facetious, but yeah. um, well, like I don't see how the U.S. would stop him. Slovenia <laughs> will still have a shot at it, but they're going to have to get in there the hard way, which is what they did last time. Um, it, that's a good point by you that these games can affect the seating. Last time they had to go through Lithuania in Lithuania. Might have to there, again. So. Those or are Spain qualifying tournaments. Those are going to be uh lot. Yeah. 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 So it's going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting. We probably should talk about the Canadians uh, for a second. We just went right by them having, being, having the best tournament they've ever had. Yeah. Shout out to Jordi uh, Fernandez, their head coach, Spanish head coach, who was uh, assistant with the Sacramento Kings, getting them into the, uh, the world uh, semifinals. I don't think, I don't know if they've, they've been there 
They've never ever. finished. They've never finished um, in the top four in the World Cup ever. And the, they won one Olympic medal, which was in 1936. So in yeah. basically any sort of modern basketball, this is easily the best tournament they've ever had. So RJ Barrett has been up and down like he is for the Knicks. He was up against um against Slovenia 24 points when when his offense is going and Shea's playing well they're very hard to handle because they have a very good defensive team because they have Lou Dort because they have Dylan Brooks uh, obviously the Canadians will be and let me just say real yeah. quick if Canada and the United States advance out of Friday and that's a big if I don't know if they're going to we'll talk about the U.S. and Germany here in a second it's potentially the beginning of a long 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 rivalry at the highest level these two teams are stocked with NBA players they both know they're going to the to the Olympics next year in Paris. I, for one, would love to see a home and home in the, in the run-up games. Let's see the Canadians come to Vegas to play the U.S. And on the way to France, let's see the Americans stop in Toronto. Let's and do play it. At Scotiabank and Scotiabank Arena. Let's see both games sell out and, yeah, and foster this rivalry, which could be about to start. Can you go somewhere other than Vegas? It's so damn hot there. Toronto in the summer sounds phenomenal. But I like well, the idea. Where, I like Wendy putting that's on where his little marketing hat. Wendy's, Wendy's warming up as a marketer. He's planning live shows, scheduling home and home, uh, you know, national team contests. This is great. Hey, let's let's have a live show in Toronto if that, that game fun. takes place. Absolutely. Wendy's uh, on board, baby. I, I love it. I would hey, love now. to be in Toronto for a, a July date, you know, USA versus Canada. How loaded could Canada be next year? Like, dude, they they've got several big time NBA players who aren't there right now. Jamal Murray, yeah. Andrew Wiggins, the two uh, guys who were quality rookies for the Pacers this year. So the Canadians have established uh, a rule that they want you to play three summers in a row. Uh, mm -hmm. Last summer, this summer, to play next summer. Jamal Murray came to training camp and then you know sort of put in his time and, you know, said he just wasn't ready to play, but he definitely was there. Jamal Andrew Murray will Wiggins be in Paris. If he's, Jamal Murray will be in Paris if he's healthy. Well, you can imagine trying to score on Canada if they had Wiggins, Dort, and Dylan Brooks. And by the way, say whatever you want to say and about Dylan Brooks. Not a bad no, and when <laughs> That's right. SGA's locked in, he's a, he can be a very good defender. Tremendous length. When, when Dylan Brooks is locked in, he's tremendous. And, you know, this is what, Houston is spending 80 million on. I was still surprised they guaranteed him the full four counting. years. What was it? 86, but who's counting? Up to 86 90. million. I'm sorry, Dylan. I didn't want to short you. I saw Dylan before the gaming. I congratulated him on his contract and I was dead serious because congratulations. Hey, Dylan, Dylan, one thing about Dylan Brooks, he's always locked in. Now he might yeah. go too far and he might, you know, go a little haywire, but as far like you don't have to worry about is Dylan Brooks going to be committed to playing intense defense. He is always locked in. Yeah. So uh so the Can the Canadians have the Serbians, and that's gonna be a tough one. They gotta deal with Bogdan in Bogdan. Big rest advantage for Serbia. Played the first quarterfinal game. Spain played Spain Canada played the last semifinal game, and then they're playing the early game oh. on Friday. Hey, Dylan got about seven or eight minutes of extra rest <laughs> getting ready to talk to him. I'll tell you that. Because uh, our, our, our buddy's going to see a whole lot of Dylan Brooks and a whole lot of Lou Dort. Well, and to put a point okay. on the SGA Luca thing, Bruce, real quick. My only point really from the beginning was that I think you can make an argument those guys are at least on the same level. And you saw, I think you've seen in this tournament, I think, that SGA is on a similar level to Luca. And I think you saw in that game, he did outplay him. 
the difference in that game was he was better than him, but also he is surrounded by six yeah. or seven NBA players. And so as, as yeah, good as Luca is, you the can the see the clear difference as the game won. went along. That's the, right. The, the, the proper team won and Shea played great. Um, um, they could play again and Luca could be better than Shea. It's not definitive, of course. but, but Shea, but Shea has been better and is still in the tournament. So um, what do you want me to say? Okay. He's on the um, level. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the point there. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. So Team USA, let me just say first that on Wednesday, I had the opportunity to go with the members of Team USA to the American Military Cemetery here in Manila. I was not aware of the American Military Cemetery until I came here a couple of weeks ago. It is the largest cemetery for war dead other than Arlington National Cemetery in Northern Virginia. It, the, there are 9,000 soldiers buried in the Normandy. There are 17,000 American soldiers buried at this um, incredible cemetery here in Manila. And there's another 36,000 names of missing, mostly from World War II, largely because of the losses at sea uh, in the Pacific theater. So the U.S. went there. Um, they laid a wreath. They, uh, you know, toured the, um, the the cemetery, which is in absolutely pristine condition. They take incredible care of it. They had a tour guide who, Filipino, who uh, there are some Filipinos who are buried and are missing, who are who fought in the war, who is uh, the tour guide's great great grandfather was on the wall for for being missing, and uh, is a hero in the Philippines and um, is actually one of the people who was on the Philippines currency. So it was a moving day. All the players came, all the coaches came. The head of uh, the chairman of USA Basketball, I'm not sure of his exact title, chairman of the board is uh, General Martin Dempsey, who was a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know, when you're there with the ambassador and the Marine Guard and the former head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, it's like, okay, we're, uh, we're talking serious business here. So the Americans got to do that during their two days off. They have the such huge advantage of getting a little bit of an easier draw against Italy. They were a completely different team against Italy because they played way more focused ball coming out of the gates. Um, rebounded better, but Italy is not anywhere near as good of a rebounding team as Lithuania, and it played out. And they got to play. They've stayed in the same hotel the whole time. Uh, they've played in the arena the whole time, and now they have the rest advantage. Uh, they had two days off uh, getting ready uh, because um, Germany had to play on Wednesday. The U.S. played on Tuesday. Um, Germany had to fly in from Japan on Monday. Um, the U.S. has been here. There is a, a good feel around Team USA before this game um, that they have – sort of re-embraced their identity. You know, they, you know, their team is built to to be versatile and run and play high speed and and exhaust itself and then call the bullpen and bring in five outstanding NBA players and just beat you like that. They got away from that a little bit against Montenegro, who they beat, but not impressively. And then of course against Lithuania when they were so fighting for the rebounds that they got away from their game. Um, there was an interesting thing that happened. Uh, after the win over Italy, which is that Anthony Edwards, he had 35 points against um, Lithuania in that loss. And I think he was 14 of 26. So certainly a, not a bad effort, not a bad efficiency game. And I, we talked the other day after the loss that he had some shots that could have gone in, he could have scored more, but after the game, 
<clears throat> against Italy, it sort of came out that uh, the coaches and some players came to Anthony and said, hey, maybe look to move the ball a little bit more and not look for your shot, even though your shot was working um, because he took 16 more shots than anybody else. And even though he played great and Ant scored three points in, in the win over Italy, Mikhail Bridges had the great game, 24 points, which is brilliant. And in the locker room, the players were saying that the happiest guy in the locker room was, was Ant. And so I talked to him today at practice, um, Thursday at practice. And he said, look, that's what I got to do for the Timberwolves. I sometimes I have to score, sometimes I have to distribute. That's what I have to do here. So, um, now, when the Americans played the Germans three weeks ago in Abu Dhabi, the Germans got up by 16 points in that game, and it was largely because Dennis Schroeder was awesome, totally attacked off the dribble, and um, Ant basically won the U.S. that game. He had 34. So I got to imagine that the Germans are going to have a game plan ready. And so if they're going to put 2-1 Anthony Edwards, which the Italians did a little bit, he's got to move that ball, and he did. Uh, you know, And I think it showed some growth from him to, number one, for them to, to come to him, and say, hey, listen, share the ball. Two, for him to be receptive and do it. Um, he took six shots. He went from 26 to six. And they went from losing by six to winning by 37. Not that the opponents were the same. Um, so that's interesting. The other thing for Germany is, man, if you were watching Dennis Schroeder in this game, guys, Dennis Schroeder was four for 26 against Latvia. Do you know how hard it is to miss 22 shots in a game? He was also minus 20. Do you know how hard it is to win a game when your point guard is minus 20? Meanwhile, Franz Wagner, who's been out for two weeks with an ankle injury, just came back for this game, scored 16 points on eight shots. He made five of eight shots. He was plus 19. He had 18 fewer shots than Dennis. Dennis came within the skin of his teeth from dribbling and shooting Germany out of this game with a couple of preposterous possessions late in the game where he dribbled it out and chucked it. You think the Davis uh, coach a little frustrated with uh, with Dennis? You, you saw the little little squabble they had in the in the bench area. I believe the previous game where uh, he was trying to get Dennis to shut up and put his hand on his shoulder, and Dennis basically said, "Don't ever touch me like that again." Like this is uh, an interesting well, dynamic there. Latvia had several hundred fans. They were totally engaged in it. You know, Chris Porzingis is on the bench in flip flops. Mm. Darius Bertans is one of their other better players has been out. Two of their three best players were out. So Davis Bertans, now with the Thunder, had 20 points in the game, and he had a pretty good look from about 23, 24 feet um, oh, at the buzzer to win. Closer to 33 than 23. Was it was it that far? Well, you know, I was watching it. I mean, listen, know. he's capable. Like, the guy is a, capable of hitting a shot. I don't necessarily oh. fall for the shot, but it, yeah. was a, it was a long, long three. It was still well, a shot he, if you're Latvia, you'll live with. If they came to this, this tournament and said, you're going to get a Davis Bertans makeable three to go yeah. to the Olympics, they would have signed up for their chances on that. Yeah, and if you watch him like in his pregame warm-ups. Like, oh, he this, could shoot it. He hits him from 35 like, like Easy. some guys hit you know, mid-range jump shots. Well, his point guard, this guy named Arturis, I think it's Arturis, Arturis um, Skoggers, I think is how you say his name. We are going to have again. we're going to have just the entire <clears throat> well, just Baltic region just ready to murder us listen, by the time this World Cup is over. <laughs> well, first off, hats off to the Latvians um, Latvia for their, their their fans. Whatever, e Eastern, all of Eastern Europe, I should say, to be to clarify. <clears throat> well, number fifty-five. This dude was awesome. He had made a couple of huge baskets. He was open. He had yeah. twenty-four points in the game, and I think he was like, "Come on!" But anyway, I think it's Gog. 
Cress. Anyway, um, he was he was great. Hats off to him. Uh, but um, so I was talking to somebody from USA Basketball. I was like, wow, that Schroeder performance was unbelievable. And uh, they were like, don't worry, by Friday he'll be Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> um, and like right. the, the last time that he played against the US, he had 16 points and 10 assists. They need that guy. But Franz Wagner is a problem. If he had gotten even 12 shots versus eight, much less 15, 17, I think Germany wins by double digits. And I would suspect that they that would happen against the US. So well, I, I will um, say this. You cannot go four of 26 without supreme confidence. Like He's got it. that poorly and you keep on shooting. I don't think you have to, I don't think Germany's worried about the psyche of Dennis Schroeder. Oh my gosh, is he going to, is it, you know, <laughs> self esteem going to be deflated? Trust me. He thinks the next one's going in. Well, there was a bunch of uh, Canadian fans there watching their new point guard, the Raptors. I'm not sure <laughs> how they felt about that. <laughs> But look, yeah, like I, this, they're watching that performance, they're saying, "What's the protection on that first round pick?" We have <laughs> Schroeder. There were has there were more than there games. were more than two hundred games, by the way, last year in the NBA with at least twenty six shots taken, and the fewest anyone made was seven. So, just tells you, yeah, it's hard to do. Yeah, that said, he's had. I mean, Germany's undefeated. They're the only team on that's undefeated. Steve Kerr was saying today he thinks that they've played the best in the in the. Uh, cup. I don't think that's accurate because the Latvia game was not their best effort. But um, so but, uh, you know. Sh- Schroeder gave the U.S. You know, in the in the game that they played three weeks ago, they played drop coverage. So when um, when they'd set a screen for him, uh, Jaron Jackson would sort of back up, and Schroeder just went right into his body and created all kinds of problems. So I cannot see them playing drop coverage again. One thing that they did do to to help get their speed and athleticism going, Steve Kerr brought out a half court trap that they threw up against uh, Italy. The Italians were not ready for it. It generated at least three or four turnovers and wrecked a couple other possessions. And I would not be surprised if they go back to that. Although obviously Schroeder is a stronger ball handler and certainly a more confident ball handler than the Italian guards. Ooh, 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 but, ooh. Uh, We've got an, an emergency trivia uh, question here. Courtesy oh. of the, courtesy of our friends at, uh, at Stathead. I did a quick Stathead search here. Okay. Uh, I will... The the what last about the whiz of the quiz. And now to present today's trivia question, the whiz of the quiz. Okay. The the the, the short question is who is the last player to go f- to have at least 26 field goal attempts and make four or fewer in an NBA game? And I will give you the hint that it is a Hall of Famer. Sorry, you you cut out for a second on my end. What was the question there, Tim? At least 26 field goal attempts in an NBA game, making okay. four, four. Who's the last guy to do it? And the hint is it is a Hall of Famer. I'll go, I have two guesses, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant. I those I was gonna I was gonna say those two names. You said that's wrong? Wrong. It is a Hall of Famer. And I will tell you it was before the ABA NBA merger. Oh pff, God. Who's your guy, Bob Pettit? <laughs> nope, but uh, not Bob Pettit. Nope, nope, nope. That'd be a great one. I don't know. I don't know. George, I Mike, need a little bit. Need a little bit more of a hint than uh, before the merger. There's a there's a few NBA players before the merger. Okay, I, between it's somebody between forty seven and seventy six. <laughs> Come on, you don't have it. Okay, uh, this will this guy's franchise recently signed 
the most high profile minimum signing of the summer, who I think we're <laughs> going to touch on here in a little bit. And it wasn't George Mikan. It was not George Mikan, but you're trying, on, I don't I'm trying know to any... think of which I'm trying to, I, I assume it's not Jerry West. It's I, not assume, Jerry West. I assume it's not Elgin Baylor. Oh, it is Elgin Baylor. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Oh, I was wow. going through Lakers Hall. I was going through Lakers Hall of Famers. But. Elgin Baylor actually had the last two. He had a three of twenty-seven and a four uh, of of twenty-six. Well, Dennis is in great company. Him and Elgin Baylor have something in common. <laughs> a Hall of Fame performance. Uh, all right. Bob well, it, before way. we talk about Christian Wood, I will say it, it could very well be Serbia beating Canada. Uh, I the, the Canadians and the Americans are favored to play in the final. Anything could happen. I, I could make a case for any of these four teams winning, but I think Canada and the U.S. are the best teams. We'll see how Canada handles the pressure of uh, of expectation. If the U.S. takes care of business and plays their game, they should handle Germany, although I expect it to be a very challenging game. I expect there to be adversity. I expect the Germans to play much better than they did against Latvia. So they also are a big team. They out-rebounded the Americans last time. They do not their rebounding isn't to the level of the Lithuanians or the Montenegrins who gave the, the, the Americans big trouble, but they have great size. I and mean, all you need to know is they bring a seven-footer in Mo Wagner off the bench. He's averaging 13 points. So if you bring an NBA player off the bench uh, and he's also seven feet, you're going to give the U.S. some some trouble. Wendy, so, I've got a, uh, I've got, we've got a, you know, we've got listeners all over the world and a uh, feller who I interacted with during my trip to Cologne reached out and he, he wanted to help us on the pronunciation, the pronunciation <laughs> of the uh, starting big man on Germany. We need a lot you, of help I with that. I believe you, I believe pronounced it Voigtman. No, no, no. The V is sharp like an F and the I is silent. Something like footman, foot. You know, this is interesting. You bring this up. So um, I had something happen at ESPN in an in, internal memo. An internal memo was sent to me this week. That uh -oh. a demand has been made of me because I've been uh, I've been derelict. The ESPN wants a ruling on how to pronounce my last name because you know it's a German last name, and I was raised with H O R S T in German that is pronounced with a U sound. So I was raised when. Windhurst, but phonetically over the course of years, people call it Windhorst. And to be honest with you, I don't care. But the problem is, is that after, you know, 13 years at ESPN, powers that be have decided they've had enough and there must be the a truth is Brian is such a big star that they need to know how to promote his name properly. So what, what is, um, what is that? What are we, what are we deciding? This is breaking news. I think it's fitting well, that I, he mispronounces his own last name. <laughs> So, well, the thing is, like, look, if you're going to make it a German pronunciation, Wind. you should say Windhurst, right? Is that something like that? Like, I'm like I mean, is it Dirk Nowitzki sure. or is it Dirk Nowitzki? It's it's Nowitzki, but is, he just kind of, well, all right, fine, Nowitzki, whatever. Okay, <laughs> you know, right. So, like I'm saying, like, if we're going to, if I'm going to stick with a German pronunciation, I got to, I got it right? So, my, yeah. to be honest with you, my inclination is to say Windhorst, even though that's not the way my uh, my grandmother on my father's side wanted it pronounced, but like with all due respect to my dad, he's no longer with us, so I don't think he's going to complain. And you know, I I asked my five year old son, I said, "How do you pronounce your last name?" And he pronounced it Winhurst because that's apparently how I've taught him. So I don't know. They want an answer. Like I think they kind of wanted an answer immediately, but I didn't. I haven't given it yet. No, I think. Uh, I, but, but, I, but I honestly. But I don't care. Seriously, I don't care, but I have to come no, up I with think, one. And so now I have I, to care. I think the mid-career 
change in pronunciation to Vinthurst <laughs> would like it'll boost your profile. I'm gonna start hard pivot. You, I'm gonna start calling you Vindi, Vindi, Vindi. <laughs> that sounds Russian. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should take a poll of the Germans in the uh, crowd tomorrow. I'm only one quarter German, but that's the the name. So like you know, I don't know. I'm taking uh, Jackson. I mean, I don't read the comments. Maybe Jackson can tell me what the comments say. Hurst or Horst? Which should it be? No, I want that. I want... <laughs> that's not that's not happening. I'm not looking for that. Okay, Christian Wood signed with the Lakers. Minimum contract plus a player option. Uh, always got to love the mid-September signing. Talked to talks quite a bit about Christian Wood on this podcast. A year ago, uh, he got he netted a first round pick from the um, from Mavericks. the for the Mavericks trading for him from the Rockets. Uh, you're on the front line of the Christian Wood situation, McMahon. There's a lot of ex Christian Wood is from Southern California. He is, mm -hmm. I think, tweeted or put on Instagram or whatever how excited he is to be a Laker. He's talked about his relationship with Darvin Ham when they were both in Milwaukee. There's people, you know, thinking that the Lakers just signed a 20 and 10 guy. He's very talented. There's no doubt. He puts up big numbers. There's no doubt. And he was a free agent who got the minimum on September 6th. So, McMahon, what do you think? Oh, shout out to his agent, Adam Pinsack, for getting him that player option. Uh, it essentially serves as a no-trade clause, some, some shrewd negotiating there. Christian did send a, uh, you know, delivered a message through our buddy, Hall of Famer Mark J. Spears. Quote, I've always wanted to be a Laker. I know we can win a championship. Communication with a coach is a big key. Coach Ham and I go back to our Milwaukee days, and we've had great conversations every day about this opportunity. He believes in me and told me I'll be playing a big role and knows what I can do. I'm looking forward to this, and for sure, that's capital F-A-S-U-R-E, motivated after what Dallas did. So, What did Dallas do? Not re-sign him? What Dallas, honestly... Christian Wood and the people who he lists. Hey, uh, the worst thing a lot of NBA players do is surround themselves with people who only tell them what they want to hear. What Christian Wood want to hear is you're an all-star, you're an all-star, you're an all-star. Dude, no, you're not. You're not. You you have a chance to be a phenomenal bench scorer in the NBA. That's what the league thinks your potential is. The Mavericks tried to put him in that role. He wanted he 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 pouted and moped, um, and it was just a look. Jason straight up, Jason Kidd did not want Christian Wood. That trade was made without Jay Kidd signing off on it. Now, listen, Jay Kidd did sign off on the Javale McGee signing, so let's not act like you know he's <laughs> the end all be all in terms. And promising of him a starting job. Yes. So, you know, he, he's got blood on his hands from last summer as well. But th that trade was as much about clearing out roster spots. Remember, the Mavs sent four into the, into the roster guys to Houston as it was about getting Christian Wood. It was like, okay, let's get off these rosters. Let's open up some roster spots. Now, one of those they use on JaVale McGee, another they use on the – signed Theo Pinson. They didn't capitalize on the roster spots, but that was the motivation. I don't think they necessarily wanted a, a guaranteed, uh, you know, a, a guaranteed first round uh, rookie deal on the books at that time either. The simple fact of the matter is this. Christian Wood, if you look at his numbers, boy, man can score. 
He can score in a, and in a lot of different ways, efficiently, right? He puts up nice numbers. Nobody wants to keep him when they've had him, right? This is, I mean, Milwaukee's had him. They didn't want him back. They're trying to win. New Orleans had him. They didn't want him. You know, uh, the Rockets are trying to win again. They sure as hell didn't want to bring him back. By the way, the Rockets tried to trade him for a full year. The Mavericks were the first team to offer a pick. Not a first-round pick, a pick. They didn't have a second-round Detroit, uh, Detroit could have re-signed him and said sign and trade them, right? Look, he's going to be 28 in a couple of weeks. He's going to be on his eighth team. Yeah, and, and, and he's been 6'10 and skilled his, his whole career. This ain't new. I mean, I would I'm, just say I'm that curious, the Lakers, obviously, the, the Lakers don't need a lot from this spot. I mean, I, I, but I've seen some people say, oh, like he could start and have Ant or Ant, uh, Anthony uh, Davis play um, four. I, I would be stunned if that happened. But well, this, like, this is the interesting thing. They're not asking thing. him to play 30 minutes here. Well, this is the interesting thing, though. And the, 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 the whole everything coming out of the Lakers this summer has been the Lakers get Jackson Hayes, the Lakers get Christian Wood. Now, Anthony Davis doesn't have to play center. He doesn't want to play center. He can play power forward. The Lakers are not nearly as good when Anthony Davis plays power forward. No. They're best off when he's at center and LeBron's at power forward. That's when they're at their best. And if they're going to have 30 to 35 to 40 minutes a game now, where Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are playing, that I believe will be a net negative for the Lakers because they should that will mean the- Anthony Davis will not be playing center. The guy that they signed who's going to play is a guard, Gabe Vincent. <laughs> yeah. That's the guy who they signed who's going to get minutes. And by the way, well, that's what I'm saying, though. I think Jackson Hayes. Austin and Reeves Wood, is a freaking stud. Let's talk about, I mean, like, you know, you want to talk about the Lakers are going to get better. Talk about how good Austin Reeves is. Well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about him all summer, but I do think that if you believe what the Lakers are saying through their actions and sort of what people have said about them and what they've done this summer, I think Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are both going to play. And I, I don't think that's a good thing for them. In the well, and, 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 you know, are they going to play that way during the regular season to try to reduce the wear and tear on AD and then come playoff time AD? Cause look, you're not getting through Joker if freaking Christian Woods playing center. Give me a break. You know, you like, it's just, it's not happening. It's well, the West not- is so, the West is so difficult this year that it's going to be hard to play a less optimal style and win games. Look, I know the Lakers were, what were they, the seven seed last year and made the conference finals. Like, I I understand they did that. That's not a that's not a, a, a quality path to having the kind of success this team wants to have. You want to have home court advantage in the first round, or at least the first, first round or two of the playoffs, if not more than that, with how deep the West is going to be this year. You don't want to be in the play-in mix where if Rudy Gobert played against for Minnesota in that game, who knows if they even win the first playing game, maybe everything's different for them, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It just, this seems like it's setting up for Anthony Davis to play a lot of minutes of power forward. And if he does that, instead of playing at center where he is at his best, especially when now he's not much of a shooter anymore. I just really don't like that very much for the Lakers, despite this being him and Jackson Hayes, both being minimum signings or in theory, there's not a lot of risk. I don't, I don't like the fit if he's not playing center. Well, and I would like to hear, and we will, I'm sure, come media day, more about this quote-unquote big role that Darvin Ham has apparently promised Christian Wood. And, you know, I, I will say one thing I do think that Jason Kidd, and I think Christian alluded to this, I think Jason Kidd 
mismanaged this from a communication standpoint. J-Kid basically didn't want him, didn't want to deal with him, didn't really communicate with him directly. There was the whole thing at you know, media day last year where J-Kid confirms, which was pretty obvious, the plan was to bring uh, C. Wood off the bench. C. Wood comes in media day and he's like, it's the first I heard of it. And, and, you know, so we asked JK to practice the next day about that. And JK is like, I didn't tell him, but like my assistants have talked to him. And, you know, when we're saying, hey, when you come in the game, six minutes, the six minute mark of the first quarter, that means you are coming off the bench. Anyway, so it just got off to this wonky start from a communication perspective. So my advice to Darwin Ham is be very direct and very specific. And like, I wouldn't promise this guy minutes. You want to play minutes for a team that wants to contend? Play defense, right? Like, don't blow defensive assignments on a regular basis. You're going to block the occasional shot. It's not what I'm talking about. You've got assignments. Well, look, don't watch those on a regular basis. But, like, he averaged 26 minutes a game last year for the Mavericks. That's not a big role. You're getting a bigger role than that big. in L.A.? Well, look, they invested heavily in Rui Hachimura to play for for them. Okay. And they, in, uh, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, I don't know if, how big of a role he's going to have, but Jared Vanderbilt really helped them last year. Those guys are going to play. Uh, and they signed Torian Prince, who, you know, I don't know how much he's going to play, but he's a rotation player. Well, and he's I'm, three, four. If, if, if AD plays most of his minutes at the five, I think that that will be a very good thing for the Lakers. If he doesn't, and Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are combining to play 30 minutes a game or more, I think that's going to be a net negative. That, you know, and we'll see which way it goes. I don't know how it's going to go. You know, for the Lakers, though, this is a, again, the talent's not in question. The guy can absolutely score. Uh, for a minimum signing, it, it, it's a fine flyer. If it doesn't work it'd out, be, you get rid of them. It'd, it'd, it'd be a fine flyer without the player option. Yeah, that, the player, uh, again, I'm, I, I don't, like, where was he going if you didn't give him that player option? Like who was lining up uh, here? But whatever. I've had my I've had get off my lawn on this one for years now, where I just said, you know, back when I was a kid, that you know, superstars got player options, not guys on minimums. But yeah. that's the extent. Not getting it is like like the exception more than the rule these days. So yeah, and and, and again, um, like there's just not a market for this guy. That's how you end up signing a minimum deal in, in September. And trust me, the matter. Well, I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure 100% certain if he didn't have another offer. Okay. There's a reason why this this lasts until September. Yeah. Okay. Right. And Lakers are in position. He wanted to play for the Lakers. That was, that was the key. Well, and and uh, second straight summer, he's got a chance to prove he can contribute to a winner. It didn't happen last year in Dallas. He scored points. That wasn't a winner. (laughs) That wasn't a winner. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll see. By the way, speaking of Dallas last year, it was interesting watching uh, Dwight Powell uh, on the other side of some Luca complaining uh, in that game. Uh, it's happened so. in plenty of scrimmages. By the way, Dwight <laughs> Powell, Mavericks, Mavericks fans, a lot of them love Christian Wood, couldn't stand Dwight Powell. Simple fact of the matter is the Mavericks are a better team offensively and defensively with Powell on the floor than where we'll see Wood. Make it out what you will. Well, and Dwight Powell is re-signed. Uh, and Christian Wood is in LA. Uh, okay. Thank you for uh, listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Got some big games coming up. Bontemps, enjoy your Italy trip. And thanks for taking a little time out here to keep the pod sure. going. McMahon, get back to that book writing. Get ready a chapter on the 20, 2023 World Cup here. <laughs> I'm counting on you to provide that for me. 
<laughs> Adios, amigos. All right. Thank, we'll talk. Sorry, I talked over you twice. One more time. Adios, amigos. I'd say it in German, but I don't know how.